0: fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Loaf Strangers, a Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen.
1: Rodgers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What shot! Oh, that's a good goal! Mike Henry's foul! Well, first for Shearer, goal! 4-0! Stay wide! Touched to Mitchell! It's another goal! Incredible! Hubble! It's the Premier League for Swindon Town now, but just the go by Yanty Otto, pocket. Austin Galian, yes. New bats! new bat. Two nil Swindon. Danny Ward. Look, I would win this league anyway, Richard. He's hit it. It's Bradley. Oh, it's fluid.
0: Hello and welcome to the Low Strangers podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. My guest for this episode is Grant Smith. He started his football career in quite a nomadic fashion before joining Swindon Town from Sheffield United in the summer of 2003. His first season at the club was a frustrating one, playing only a handful of games despite impressing whilst being played out of position in a couple of big games for Swindon, both at the time and historically. It looked like his second season would play out in a similar fashion, but after he was utilised in his favourite position, Grant started to score goals, and popularity emerged both in the dugout and from the stands. Go figure. Although it was one of his longest spells at a single club, it was also quite problematic, and we find out why in this episode. His post-Swindon Town career was again quite nomadic, with moves across England and Scotland, along with a season in Finland, and a brief yet life-changing spell down in Australia. Grant now works as a football agent, which we also cover in decent depth. It has to be said that this episode had a really quick turnaround and it was recorded during the busy January transfer window, so a big thanks to Grant for taking part. I hope you all enjoy listening to Grant's story as much as I did. Anyway, without further ado, it's time to sound the hooter for the Low Strangers podcast. Enjoy. (laughs) Hello. Thank you very much for agreeing to take part. No problem. Who did you support as a child? Rangers. Rangers.
3: Yeah. But I've got I've got to be careful now because obviously I'm in the agency side in Scotland. So obviously I'm I'm I then became neutral.
0: <laughs> so before but, uh, you, before you yeah. were neutral. Uh, who were your football
3: heroes? Uh, well, my dad played for Rangers. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of the and stuff. So, obviously, we've never been around the house, like kids and the pictures and stuff. So, usually, I think, what, probably 99% of the time, we all kids, girls and boys. It's who you're really what family you come from, you know, in terms of supporting. Uh, so, that was the Rangers side of things. So, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, that came from my, my dad, really. So, uh, that was probably... Uh, but the, the earliest football memory was probably when he was at, my, at Brighton. My dad played in the Cup final mm-hmm. as well. So, the Smith must score. Uh, chance and stuff, and that's probably my earliest memory. See, remember my auntie like us. We stayed at home. My mum and all that went to the game, and remember my auntie jump off the couch. And my dad scored, so uh, that's probably my earliest football memory. My dad was at Rangers when I was born, and then um, I think I was about two weeks old, and he got transferred. It was one of them just life in the footballer, really. You know, we'd only just got the house and stuff, and I'd just been born, and my mum had to up sticks, and even but funnily enough, the guy that bought the house that came round was called Mister Brighton, so. Uh, <laughs> Well, my dad thought somebody was taking a piss when he was, uh, when, when the guy came over, you know, as if he was one of the boys at the club taking the piss, but uh, now this guy bought the house and then we, we moved, we were down there probably when I was about a month old maybe, mm. so I actually did not move back to Scotland until I was about six. So you had an English just, accent? Yeah, well, it was a kind of weird, like, because <laughs> uh, uh, we went to Brighton for four years then, my dad went to Man City, so I was in Manchester about a year and a half, and then we went to Austria and Switzerland, he played over there at... FC Basel and stuff. So, uh, yeah, this weird kind of like Scottish twang, little twang for my parents, and then kind of weird kind of. And I spoke German as well. So, like, (laughs) didn't have this beautiful accent I have now, obviously.
0: (laughs) I I moved to Germany when I was about five because my dad was in the armed forces and I lost my very broad Wiltshire accent. And I've (laughs) never been more grateful to the Royal Scots Dragoon Guards for that. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I, I always feel sorry for your dad because he's known in England, obviously, for the, the Smithless mm. score, uh, Brighton-Manchester United Cup Final, but he scored the winning goal in an old, firm Cup Final... Yep. Is he
3: more no. is he more known for that up, up Scotland? Not really, because I think in those days it was like Rangers were in nearly every final. Yeah, and like when you watched, I was watching the the, the the FA Cup stuff the other day, and it's like it used to be the biggest game, you know, like everything. Mm-hmm. Like people actually wanted to win it more than the league. Sometimes the the FA Cup final so had this big stigma back in the day and stuff. So it was one of them that I think he's. other side it is, I think he's he's more remembered, but I think he likes that a bit more now. You know what I mean? Because maybe other fans know about him as well, rather than if he just scored the winner. All the Brighton fans would just know about him, but they all know about him for the Miss and so do other people, really. But, he, I mean, he scored in the final as well, which he keeps reminding everybody as well. <laughs> so, I don't know, Rangers won every final back then. and He won he won the treble with Rangers, so it's, it's one of those things where I think he's uh, he's definitely more remembered for the Miss anyway, you're right, that's for sure.
0: Did you get much stick about it when you were at school?
3: Not really, not really, because, um, like, I mean, I think people were more, like, oh, your dad's a footballer, you know what I mean, rather sure. than I mean, kids. Kids probably didn't know this, the, the, the kind of the... the the size of the miss in terms of like how big around the world it it probably was at the time or and I say world because like he's he's actually been like people knew about it when he was on holiday Mm. (laughs) like he went to Man City I think he went away to uh, Mauritius or something and the guy that walked behind the bar was like oh Smith must score it was well known anyway that's for sure if
0: there's Anything you can rely on when it comes to football fans is we will not hesitate to interrupt your holiday and talk about football, isn't it? I know, exactly. As if you've as if you forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, that's true. So with your, with your dad playing and before both you and your dad were born, your great-grandfather played for Kilmarnock. And I think he's a Hall of Famer, if in a... Yeah. Uh, Unless my research has let me down, was it well, always going to be a case that you were going to work in football in some form, or did you ever explore any other avenues while you were young?
3: Not really. I mean, there was state. Well, there was obviously times when you don't think you're going to make it, or well, not that you don't think you're going to make it, but you know how hard it is, you know, and you're in at clubs and. and my two cousins played as well, and they were at like St. Mirren and, and Clyde and stuff in Scotland, and they kind of drifted at the game by about 19. So you're my you know, big cousins, and you you realize. Um, I mean a lot of it is luck you know what I mean a lot of it is kind of uh, getting that chance that break which obviously I think you're going to touch on as well with Sheffield United and stuff but uh, there's there's things where um, I just I, I probably would be involved in football I mean nowadays I'd have more probably opportunity because even if you're you were never really good at football there's loads more jobs in football now in terms of uh, I mean as in good as in terms of talent kicking a ball whereas nowadays you, could look, you can get be a manager or a coach now, and you've never really had to play. There's a lot more relaxation in that kind of thing. I think uh, with my great granddad's as well. Maybe there is. I mean, there must be some kind of genes or some kind of thing. Hopefully through it, but I think it's just the fact that you're always around football. I mean, I remember the earliest times going to training with my dad and and being at clubs and like being on the pitch after games as well. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's definitely a factor
0: within your job now as a football agent. What's your opinion on like laptop managers as they as they are um, sometimes regarded by some?
3: I don't have a problem with it. I don't think that. I think like, I've got to be careful what I say here because mm-hmm. I'll deal with a few of them. But uh, like, I mean, I don't know if you remember the boy Cafro that came up from Yeah, Yeah, Hearts. and stuff. And like, he was actually on my coaching badges. I did my coaching badges as well, got like, my A license, and got my B license, and doing my A license in Scotland. And he was in my coaching badges and stuff. And there was a lot of people from the outside saying, oh, he's brilliant and stuff. And don't get me wrong, there is brilliant people and there is people that are unbelievable with. I know that old cliche with the laptop and stuff, but in terms of how they plan sessions, how they react to things and stuff, and they're fantastic. But for me, and I think with Mourinho, it helped that he wasn't a player. For me, what it goes back to, and when I did think he'd struggle, because for me, when you're in charge of players as well, there's got to be even if even if you are the, like a total laptop manager, you need that personality or that kind of man management skills that. They get you there, whereas you need something a wee bit more as well. You know, you just can't go like pull players and say, "Look at this, and this is what we're going to do." You know, you've got to do it with a bit a way where you have got this personality to to engage them and to and to kind of just make them want to be better and 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 go along with you. And I think that's maybe what and Cathro might have probably learned, or might have learned that uh, from his time at Hearts, and I think he he could come back and he could could get more jobs in the future. But I think the difference with like Mourinho at that time as well as Mourinho like maybe obviously I know he's got to be a bit tainted now, but like Mourinho at Chelsea, that was a guy that everybody wanted to play for and he was his personality and everything and his uh just his kind of aura as well, you know. Whereas I think if you are technically well, termed class as a, a laptop manager, I think you need that you need that bit about you, that kind of like stardust as well. Like I mean clock Klopp was a player that that kind of Klopp style now along with the other kind of side of it you know but there's definitely, there's definitely a place for it because these guys are always if I was a manager tomorrow I'd get I'd always get someone like that and like to, who's really talented with the, the kind of laptop and the, the analysis and you, you definitely need that bit extra these days yeah mm-hmm. for sure O'Sullivan
1: targeting the penalty You can only begin to think the thoughts that are going through the head of Harper
0: and Flowers. Football fans can be quite cynical, and so can young footballers. Did you ever mm. ha- have any accusations of nepotism when you were going through youth football?
3: Probably from maybe, I don't know, maybe the parents of the kids weren't getting a game, uh, that kind of thing. There's always going to be nepotism, but I think I think it's... Like, I mean, I know... like. No way. Obviously, I'm not no in the same bracket as these Lampard, as Lampard and people less. Like but I know they have talked about it, and for me, it's the same. It was always a bit harder. You had to kind of prove yourself a little bit more, or or do a bit extra to be seen to be like you're not having eating, having that easy ride. Or and if my dad was working at a club or something, you like he'd probably pick on you more as well. You know, mm. it was always a side, It was never like oh you're the no. It didn't it didn't really it didn't really bother me for one. And I think I mean I was training at Rangers as a kid. And people obviously knew who my dad was and stuff, but like I was, I was playing as well. You know what I mean? I was in the team and stuff, and I thought it was one of the best players when I was younger. So I never really got that. I think if I'd been a bit like touch and go, if, if I hadn't been that good, then maybe. But I think I was kind of at that age, okay enough that people were going to go, nah. To be fair, I can see why he's here in a way, rather than he's just here because his dad's connected to the club or something. You know.
0: I'm led to believe your Wikipedia page is as you put it off, Mike
3: shit yeah fuck it i thought we only had an hour <laughs> uh, well basically um as i said i was in at rangers as the kids and i'd been down training we play teams and stuff and at, at, at the time at rangers was work experience i was going in to do work experience at a time and it was like uh gaza loudrop like all these kind of players and stuff and i don't think there was a and barry ferguson who was went on to be a top player and was probably the best young boy we've produced in 40, 30, 40 years. Barry didn't really make his debut probably till Advocate came in, you know. It was really hard to break through at the time and Barry was probably about 20 before he made his debut or, or became a regular. And at the time, I just like, I thought even if I got offered, I don't want to stay because I want to try and um, have a quicker pathway and stuff like that. So I was down training a few teams. I was even down at Brighton um, because Jimmy Case was the manager and at the time Brighton were League One. They had their own stadium, the Goldstein Ground. They had uh, the youth guy who was good and Charlie. Liam Brady was manager sort of at the time. Liam Brady was like, uh, "We want to sign you," and I was going to go down and sign that next summer. And then uh, Brighton went tits up, as you know, you know, and they even lost the ground and took them a good ten years to come back, really. And it was one of them that I was about to sign, and then it didn't happen. So I think I was, I think I, um, I was about to sign and get announced, and then obviously it went. Sets up and stuff, so I came back, and then I was at, um, and then uh, there was other things. I was I was training clubs in England because I was I left Scotland that time, but nothing, nothing really concrete and waiting for the right thing. And then Tommy Burns got the Reading job. He was a great guy, Tommy Burns, Celtic mm-hmm. manager, and I signed for I, t- I signed for Reading, and really enjoyed it. Had a good time, and uh, that first season was we went to the Skate and they will spend a lot of money as well. But I got into Scotland, so I started to get uh, like, international, in the international youth teams. Uh, and I went with the 21s uh, when I was like 18, and then I got, for some reason I went with the 21s before the 18s, so that probably sums the SFA up. I don't know what was going on there. And then I came back to the 18s, and I was coming back a lot, and I started to get a wee bit like, not homesick, but just like the boys were all playing up the road, and the, Scotland was a good league at the time. You know, there was boys and a lot of money in Scotland, and good players here and everything. I just wanted to come back, and... To be honest, I spoke to Tommy Burns about it, and he was was the same. I think he was homesick as well, and he's like, listen, if you get an opportunity, and Hearts wanted to take me. So I went to Hearts at 18, and then I was at Hearts about two years. I went on loan to Livingston and Clyde Bank when I was there. And my last year, I was at Clyde Bank on loan in Sheffield United came to see me a couple of times and I was doing well it was the first time I was really playing and getting a lot of games and Clyde Bank won the championship at the time and my contract was running out at Hearts they were changing manager as well and stuff like that and then I just let the contract run out I went to Sheffield United that summer and that was it really
0: So you uh, were never at Wickham No You went to Reading Yeah You went to Hearts but you were only on loan at Livingston because I think they have you as a permanent uh... Yeah I was
3: on loan but that was there was weird different rules back in the I know it said back there as if it's like forty years ago, but it was something like you could do like a like a, a youth loan, if you know what I mean. So it meant that you it, it didn't count Livingston as a loan yeah. if you were like under twenty one or something. So I think that's why it's classed as that. But um, uh, no, I was I left there and I went to um, Clyde Bank. Did I go to Clyde Bank? But Clyde Bank was when it was before Livingston or after Livingston? I think it was after Livingston, after, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So. No, it was uh, strange, but I was still connected to Hearts, and it was just—it was so weird back then. There was different rules and stuff, and it was like I can't—and you know what? I can hardly remember. It was—it like, feels about fifty years ago now as well.
0: Whatever you did do there It earned you a move To Sheffield United So that can't be bad
3: Yeah but This is why uh, I know I had a weird start And a bit of a Nomadic start But I mean It, it worked out in the end Because as I said Clybank were a good team At the time They were in the championship And was playing a lot of games And um, For my age and stuff And Sheffield United Had a few scouts in Scotland and, But to be fair I'd went down a couple of times They, offered, they wanted me to go on trial and I went down and trained there and Warnock just really liked me for some reason. I don't know what it was. Uh, he was like, made it permanent like the next year and then I had a, uh, and then to fair, it was really good spell. I loved it there and met really good guys and people I'm still like, best friends with to this day, you know, so it was good. You go out on loan to
0: Halifax to start with, so it 's not until the latter stages of the two thousand and one two thousand and two season that you make your debut for Sheffield United, but it comes shortly after the the infamous battle. Of Bramall Lane, so you directly benefit from that that farcical game.
3: I did, and it was funny because last week there was a it was a, the battle it was Bramall Lane again, West Brom, Sheffield United, and they showed clips of it, and I think Michael Brown was on talking about it and different things. And uh, no, I remember I was actually because I just about uh, I'd come back for Halifax, and um, I was kind of like wide left player at the time at Sheffield United, and then. Um, Couple of boys who get injured, and around Christmas time, I'd started playing up front in under in the reserves. And Keith Carr always taking the reserves at the time. He was like captain of the club and playing at centre half every game. And Kelly was like a freak. Kelly wouldn't train all week and just playing on Saturday. I, mean, I think he was about probably about forty at the time. You know what I mean? He was one of the oldest players in the league. And honestly, he was brilliant every Saturday. He was just a good guy. And he put me up front and I just really enjoyed it. I had a good game and stuff. And then um, I'd been in and around squads training with the first team all that time. And I was kind of just 17th man for a couple of weeks. Just thinking, right, I'm not going to get a shot here. And like, you know, you try to work out the numbers and stuff. Just hopefully maybe play in the season. And then the Saturday came. I was 17th man sitting behind the dugout. And then (laughs) obviously everybody started to get sent off. And I was like, oh, got a chance here. And then that was a Saturday. Green got abandoned for the tackles because I don't know if you know the story like mm. uh, it's, the two, I,
0: it's the two subs that they come yeah, on and they get instantly sent off don't
3: they well basically so the funny thing about it was um George Santos who's now Marseille scout who I meet at games now he he got his cheekbone fractured by Adam Johnson or Andy Johnson the long haired one the blonde one that went to uh, Everton mm-hmm. He fractured his cheekbone like the start of the season. I think George had been waiting for like four months to get him back. Uh, I remember Warnock putting him on and saying, like, Don't do anything stupid. <laughs> and, like the first tacker, I don't know if you've ever seen it, it's probably YouTube, but it's like ridiculous. And he just goes, he just runs on, just like straight through him, like knee high. And uh, then his mate was Patrick Souffle, who like, don't know what he He headbutts somebody, I think. Yeah, but <laughs> They come then,
0: on, like, on the 64th, and they're straight off in the 65th, aren't they? Or something like
3: that. Like, they were literally warming up together, going, That's him there, and no, all that. Right, right. <laughs> the, 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 what number is he, and stuff. You're not know, talking about it, and stuff. And the boys were just laughing, saying, what, What's going on? And then somebody, I don't know if someone else got sent off, and then Rob Oliphorn, I think, went off with a hammy or a Brownie, went off injured or something, and they had to, they just cancelled the game, you know? I think wow, they cancelled it, didn't they? Yeah, it was it was
0: abandoned, and
3: the, yeah, the abandoned, points yeah. and the
0: goals went to uh, to went to West Brom.
3: Three 0 no up at it. They were three no up at this point. <laughs> it, was, it was like no no But um, I always remember. And then we we're in the Sunday for like a meeting with Warnock and all that, saying like like what the fuck is going on here and stuff. And even mental. And then uh, we trained Monday, and I was in the squad. And then I, the Tuesday night we're uh, playing Millwall at home, and uh, we were two one down. Mm-hmm and I came on and we won 3-2 so just one one of them dream debuts kind of thing that you just uh, got lucky with you know and then I think I, I came on every game till the end of the season and then started the last game against Birmingham and, and did well and then that was me came back next summer and hoping to kick on and then we had like an unbelievable season and I was like 16 I was like on the bench nearly every game and like nightmare couldn't couldn't get in the team when Saturday comes stuff amazing exactly you know so uh then I, I always remember walking off and Keith Curl, like I said he was a reserve manager he was like that's the you lucky bastard that's like the luck that's like the, the debut you want to make you know especially because coming on at, at, at that stage and I think I don't it's probably highlights in some old YouTube channel but I even had the shot that the keeper parried that Peter Unlove scored from and all that and it was like uh, no it was one of them and then uh, and then the the best thing about that was about three games later we played Burnley at home and Gaza was at Burnley at the time mm. and I remember coming on in the same pitch as Gaza and that's when I thought at least no matter what happens now I've not made it made it but that's me I played in the championship <laughs> A <laughs> first-team game in Gazes in the same pitch. I was like totally buzzing that one.
0: That'll do. <laughs>
1: Park in! 1-0 Swindon Town. Thoroughly deserved opening goal.
0: Good fortunes in the following season. You, as you said there, you're on the bench, but you're not getting minutes, so you do decide to move on, and you were a part of Andy King's mini revolution in 2003 where people like Sammy Aigo, Tommy Mooney... Uh, yep. Rhys Evans, Brian Howard, Andy Nicholas amongst others joined the club how did your move to Swindon come about?
3: The, the year you talk about just before Chef United was, we had that unbelievable season where we got to like two semi-finals FA Cup and League Cup and we got to the play-off final and um, he started pushing for promotion after and he brought a couple of boys in alone who loan who um, couldn't play in the cup or were cup-tied and obviously as I said I was on the bench a few games started, I think only started one game and it was the what like we were pumping people at home you know what I mean having great that's when I go down to luck and all that we were like battering people at home and he started me up front against Wimbledon at home who were like the worst team to play against back then you know what I mean just horrible and, but we had like full strength team like Michael Brown like Jagielka Tongi, uh, really good team at the time it was just the worst game ever and we, I think we drew 0-0 you know what I mean and I just came off thinking oh, for fuck's sake you know what I mean and then uh, or 1-0 down and then we equalised in the last minute and then I was always in and out after that coming off the bench a couple of times or whatever and played cup. I think I came off the bench the cup game but I was always in the bench for the big games and stuff the FA Cup as I said he took he, he put loads of boys on loan and then we played Leeds on the FA Cup quarters and he was like and I was about two days before I was driving to Plymouth to sign on loan for a, for a month because Warnock liked sending boys to Plymouth because it was his old club and stuff and I had to turn around because he was like oh, you're playing Saturday, you're starting Saturday against Leeds in the Cup quarterfinals. So I was like, right, brilliant. Came back and then the night before, I was starting all week and then the night before, Michael Tong got an injection in his toe and they were like, oh, he'll just, he'll, he might only make the first half. So he played the full 90. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, fuck's sake. So he came on but then Warnock pulled me in and said, listen, uh, you're going to be involved now because like you were unlucky but we've got a month before the next semifinal so go to Plymouth. Mm-hmm. So I went to Plymouth for the month uh, played every game, loved it, and uh, came back for the semi final for Arsenal at Old Trafford. The yeah, Essie Solido. <laughs> Fucking unbelievable. So, the way I'm going back to this is uh, Paul Jewell was Wigan manager, and when we were at Plymouth, we played Wigan, who were like top of the league by about 10 points, and we actually like beat them 1 0 away. And I think Paul Jewell was friends with Andy King, and he was like, oh, There was a good young kid Played against us today Left footed And he knew I was looking For a left footed player And stuff So I think Andy came And watched the games Or something like that And then um, I got a phone call To say If you're leaving If you're leaving Chef United We want to take you Kind of thing So I was like uh, Oh I spoke to my dad Who was my agent at the time And uh, I spoke to Warnock And he's like Listen it's going to be The same as next season Um, 17th man maybe Blah blah I'm bringing more players Says you're the age now I think I was 21 at the time He's like It's probably better you go and play So um, I end up Coming to Swindon Lots
0: of Swindon links there, so Jewel is now our director of football. Um, how did you find Paul Sturrock?
3: Paul Sturrock was an interesting character. I remember my first the debut, we played uh, on the Saturday. I'd only got there like Friday morning, trained, and I'm playing on the Saturday. And he's come up to me in the dressing room at like two o'clock, and he's like, uh, "Do you think you'll score today?" And I was like, "Obviously, maybe this is like a thing to see how strong mentally I'm and all that." And I went, uh, "Yeah." And he went, "All right, how much do you want on it?" What? And then he got out this wee notepad, and all that a bookies notepad. Like, "I'll give you five to one." And I was like, um, 20 quid." And then he went, "All right." And then he went to the next guy, and he was like, "Do you think you'll score today?" <laughs> and he basically went around every player, and he took like bets on people for games and goals and all that. I'm thinking, "Fuck it out." Probably putting boys in penalties and giving them like ten to one and stuff. I was like, "And putting money on himself." It was one of the he was alright mate he was like a bit he was a strange character he was alright a little bit of a I don't know he like, I think he was I, mean, I always remember as well like my girlfriend at the time I was like uh, she was coming down and they put me in like a bed set like a single bed and I was like my girlfriend's coming down at the weekend can I get like a like a normal size room he went oh you're not at Real Madrid now and I thought oh right is that is that what Real Madrid give <laughs> like a bigger bed you know it's like what, what's your thinking on that you know and it's probably why I fell like up with so many managers just some of the ridiculous comments you would make I mean, so I had to pay like an extra £10 a night to to get a double bed it was a bnb and b it was basically a bnb and they'd like uh, they nice rooms at the front big double rooms with like en-suites and all that and like Plymouth being Plymouth no no saving the money whatever they just I'd like I'd like the single bed with like I think there was a sink in the room you know what I mean and I was like do if I don't mind you on the week but my, miss- my ex was coming down and it was just like sh- surely they would give you an extra nowadays they probably would you know but it was mm-hmm. back in the day they just it just didn't give a shit so Sturrock was alright interesting character but um, I think he's not well now as well so um, which is a shame And but he's, he's doing stuff for Dundee United I think I think he's doing some scouting work Characters are
0: something that you you have plenty of experience at this time so you've had Neil Warnock You've had yep. Paul Sturrock and now you've got Andy King. What was your first impressions of King when you moved? Well, my first
3: impression was uh, this guy's fucking nuts because at the time he called me to say great to have you at the club and all that and then I said he goes, I'm building a club I need, I'm going to get a few extra players in and stuff and I was like, What'd you, like what are you looking for? And my, my, my friend at the time and I'm telling this story because my friend to this day doesn't believe me, right? And my friend was playing at Kamana at the time, his name was David Began. And he'd like Scotland under twenty one international. He'd won the cup with Kamana. He was a good player and he was like a winger. And um I said, Oh my friend's leaving that, and King he was like, Well, bring him with you, you can track he can train with us for the first week. So this is like I've not even met the guy at the time, right? This is all on the phone. And I said, Are you sure? And he said, Yeah, get him to come down with you when you hear him. Sun Monday and all that and I was like, All right. So then I've called Began, and I was like, Listen, the manager said he wants to have a look at you and he's like, You sure? And I said, Aye. So I get to the ground the first time I meet him and I go in to meet him first and then he comes out to me and I said, Oh, my friend's in the car that he said to come down and train and he was like, What friend? And I went, The guy he said <laughs> the guy said to come like you wanted to have a look at and he was like, All right and then he walked outside and he goes, I goes, This big and he goes, What position do you play? In He's like uh midfield and he said, oh, I don't need any midfielders and This was like the first five minutes of meeting him, you know what I mean? And I'm thinking, Fucking cheers <laughs> Like Biggie driven for Kumalik to like Swindon, you know what I mean? And uh, I was like, anyway, uh, can you play right back? And Biggie's like, well, yeah, probably. And he said, all right, well, uh, come into training tomorrow anyway. So obviously he's like, see you tomorrow, lads. And then he's walked away and Biggie's like, fuck, you know, like, what, what is that about, you know? And I was like, I swear to God, he told me he needed midfielders and he told me to come, he wanted to see you and he knew you and all that. And I was just like, this guy's going to be a character. And it uh, turns out he was.
0: Yeah, I mean, Andy, through discussions on this podcast alone, is very much a Marmite manager. He had his favourites. What was your experience? Because the, the, the squad seemed to get on whether they're part of King's club yeah. or not. They, you, people like Matt Haywood, who was very much a King favourite, was able to get along with everybody else. So it couldn't have been a toxic atmosphere or anything like that's that. But
3: that's like The thing about it, what, what Kenny was really good at is, and I've said this before to give him his credit he was really good he, he was really good uh, scout like got good players and or good players for that level that could that, that would uh, do well for him you know and I think that I think that let Kingy down as well was probably obviously his man management but the rest in terms of the boys he got in were all very good he didn't make many mistakes Kingy you know there was uh, I mean he made money on boys uh, boys went on to a bit, uh, go to higher levels and they were all kind of good characters as well you know what I mean we all really got on well and uh, Matty was probably One of Kingy's boys But that was just Because he used to Suck up to him I'm only joking Matty Matty was um, Matty was like In the BP club You know With Reeves in that So they used to Go for pints And go to the Bookies on a Tuesday You know I lived in Cheltenham So I was never really I was kind of Out of the way A little bit at the start You know So I think that's Probably why, why I don't know why he never really took me kind of early doors. I think it's because the first day in as well, he 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 played me at table, uh, at head tennis as well, and he didn't like to lose. I made the mistake of like trying hard and trying to beat him and stuff. So I don't, I just don't think he liked me for the (laughs) from that. As if like I was trying to beat him, you know. No, it was it was interesting, but I always remember as well because in my contract as well, I had like if I made a certain amount of starts. Obviously, the like, most contracts are make a certain amount of starts. The your money goes up, or because just so like they can get you in a certain wage and make sure it works out. And I played my first game. I came on against someone, and then we played South End, I think, in the, the League Cup, and then I would came on against someone else, and we were playing Leeds in the Tuesday night. I don't know if you remember the the game we took to extra time and penalties. Yep. And like if, if, obviously, if people remember me and stuff. You know, I was the most left-footed probably player imaginable. And we did shape, and Kingy wanted to play me right back. I was like, well, "What the fuck's going on here?" You know, kind of thing. Because I, I came as a midfielder anyway. And then he pulled me and he said, um, "Listen, you're starting tomorrow. I was going to start you tomorrow, but if you start tomorrow, your contract, we've got to give you more money." And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Well, I don't want to give you more money." And I said, well, is that another contract, though, if I start? He's like, And he went, yeah, but um, I've changed my mind and stuff. And I said, all right. And he said, yeah, if you make your fifth start tomorrow, that means uh, I've got to give you more money. And he and I went, but it's not my fifth start. it would be my fourth start tomorrow. And he went, no, it's not it's your fifth. And then I went, no, it's my fourth. And then he went away and got a programme. And he started counting them. And he went, oh, yeah, it's your fourth tomorrow. And I went, so we can just have this conversation later then, seeing as I'm starting tomorrow and it's only my fourth. And he went... Yeah, all right. <laughs> and then I walked out and obviously I don't know what he's trying to do. He's he trying to say, change your contract or whatever. If it could like to bribe you to start against Leeds, you know, but he miscounted. <laughs> so, uh, the next day I started start right back against Leeds, which was
0: weird as well. We'll get to Leeds in just a moment. A couple of the players that didn't get along with King, some that were gone before um, you arrived, they said they still managed to get closure with him because they met up with them through their careers. Did you ever get to meet Andy afterwards and talk about your
3: Swindon career? To be fair to to Andy, though, I had closure. I know we're going to talk about it, but I had closure before I left Swindon as well, because, like, obviously at the end I was playing and and doing well and stuff, and he was trying to get me to sign another year and stuff, but obviously we'll get on to that later, but... Uh, I would closure in that sense and in different things but also I met him at a game I think he was scouting for Leicester or something And I met him and, and but even at the end I would closure by the March because I always remember the Cheltenham Festival when I was that last year I was there in the March he was there and um, we were just having beers and that stuff and he, was, he was totally sound and he was he was happy with things you know so I would closure I would closure before I left Swindon and then I met him a couple of times and I think I forget where I was but I don't know if it was at Carlisle when he was scouting for somebody and he met me at a game and he was like, like, mean, the thing about me mean King is, King is the kind of guy I would to got on with if he was my teammate, you know? So it was just, it was the way it started. And I don't know why it was. I don't know if he got annoyed at the fact that that head tennis thing or whatever. There was just something there that we had a bad start. But by the end of it, we definitely had a good laugh and stuff and uh, and he was, he was, he I definitely had closure even before I left Swindon, you know?
0: Despite your lack of minutes in your first season, you still managed to play in two of Swindon's most talked about uh, games in recent years despite both of them being glorious failures for the club. Leeds United in the League Cup famous for Robinson's uh, goal as he was a goalkeeper and of course Brighton in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Absolute remarkable games of football.
3: Yeah I mean that was um, uh, stuff to this day that like you still you still enjoy and and, st- and I've seen like fans things tweeting about it and stuff and different things and the, I mean, the Leeds one, as I said, it was so random. It was like, see, for me, it was a bit like a dream in that because obviously we were Premier League at the time and then I just got into Swindon and you're just starting your career. And then because I was at Leeds and I just left Sheffield United, like all my mates came to the game, like Jagielka was there, Michael Tong, Nick Montgomery, who's uh, from Leeds. Who, um, he's an Australian, now, isn't he? Yeah, he's Central Coast assistant manager. I mm-hmm. um, <laughs> still talk to him. He's a good mate of mine. Michael Brown came and they were like, uh, come to the game tonight and stuff. I said, What position are you playing? I was like, Right back, and they were like laughing, you know. <laughs> and I'm uh, Yeah. And then I don't like, I, there's a bit of me that goes, Did he put me there? Because to see as if, like, I don't know if he wanted to get rid of me early doors, as if he wasn't having me, and maybe he was putting me out of position to try and, I don't know. But it was one of them that I think it, it definitely saved me with him in terms that he knew that he could trust me after that, or if, if or I was like, I was, I was an okay player to that extent. Because, I mean, as I said, Leeds were we were brilliant that night I mean the, the, last, the second goal with Sam Park with Sam that we made and all that um, was a great goal as well and we're, we, were, we, we we played them off the park at times that night and and obviously Andy's free kick and stuff like that was just a great it was just a great game and great great to be part of and um, I mean we definitely should have won and obviously it was gutting in the last minute you know the, the equaliser it was just a great night and, and one of these things that you know, you watch like these underdogs, and they like you go to Premier League teams, and they and they win or they get a result. But great, great game to be part of, and and unfortunately, the way it ended was a bit gutting as well. You know,
0: mm-hmm. I I read a uh, text-based interview you did with a Swindon fan several years ago, and I like how you're saying that you had two options to mark on that corner. So so
3: Bart was it Bart Greminic? Was he? Yeah. He, goalie, yeah. He, he gets sent off. We were, we won the game. We were cruising. And then he gets sent off, and then Reece, came, Reece went in goals, but with ten men. And then last minute, and Reeves Reeves he played that night because Alan Reeves used to try. He was assistant manager at the time, one of our first team coach, and he used to always try and get himself in every team. Or I think he was on like five hundred pound appearance or something because he still had the same contract from when he signed years before. So he'd always put himself on, you know, mm. or tell King to put himself on. He was like um, last minute, in the corner came. And obviously Paul Robinson's coming up to the corner, and we're a man shot. So if you think about it, like if the keeper comes up, you're kind of two men shot anyway because you've got to leave somebody upfield, or or they can only leave one back because they brought the keeper up. So they they take they really had two two extra men in the box for that corner. And there was Alan Smith, who's like England striker, or Paul Robinson, who's the keeper. So I was like, right, I'll probably better mark an Alan Smith here, and then. Robinson, like, just jumped past me like a salmon and uh, headed it in. And and Reeves is like, why are you letting him go? And I was like, fucking, are you joking? And then we had this big argument and stuff as normal. But uh, it was one of them that, like, uh, if if it happened again, I'd I'd, I'd mark Alan Smith 99 times at 100, that's for sure. If I
0: remember that article, you ended up at Paul Robinson's house several years later.
3: No, it was um, my friend that I mentioned earlier, Michael Brown. He yeah. went to Spurs. Um, yeah, Brownie went to Spurs, and he was friends with him, and he lived around the corner from him. And he was at his house one night, and Robinson like, had this picture of him, obviously scoring his only goal and stuff. And then. Brownie he was looking at it and then he just clicked it. it was me underneath him. So obviously, he called me just laughing, <laughs> saying, Look at the state of you. But the other funny thing, as well, is uh, I got um, Jag Elka, my friend, was doing. I got him doing um, the World Cup in the summer in Qatar for mm-hmm. BN Sports. And Paul Robinson was actually on the, the show as well. So I went over as well. So um, I was talking to him about it as well because he obviously remembers the game and stuff. And I was like, You owe me because I was the guy who was meant to be marking you. <laughs> and, uh, so it was a small world how things happen in football how they go about. But uh, no, nah, to be fair, it was a like, i mean it was it was just one of those things. I mean that was that was hard to take. But the, uh, in terms of um, but it was still a cup game. But the the Brighton playoff that was that was the sorest of them all. You know.
0: I was going to ask because you were out of the setup for so long, and you come in, you come on in the first game, and you play the second. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I concede that it's a daft question, really, but does it hurt just as much when you come in for those couple of games? Do you you share Mm -hmm. the same sort of anguish or because you've been kind of messed around for the season, do you kind of feel not as bothered?
3: Yeah, I mean, the thing about my career at Swindon was it was like, and I think it came for the pre-season was because I was kind of versatile, I think that didn't help me in a way where I didn't have a set position and I came in as a midfielder and then I remember playing like Wolves pre-season and he played me up, he brought me on up front because Somebody said I played up front the of Swindon. I did really well against Wolves. I came on the last half an hour pre-season, did like really well. Like One of them just games where you just, everyone walks out. And then he's like, oh, you're my striker now with Sam and all that. And then I played the next game, striker. And then somebody, I don't know if it was somebody else got injured, and I played left back for a bit because Jukesy was playing there. Mm. And then mm. and then he played me somewhere else. And I always remember, even after that Leeds game, thinking in the cup early doors, thinking, right, that's me now. He'll trust me more. And then I was just kind of in and out, you know. And he'd always play me in, like, random things. And then Andy Nicholas got on the team left back ahead of me. And he was playing, doing well at left back. So I was never really getting brought on at left back then. And then I'd come on occasionally, like, centre midfield. It was just, it was just dead random. And just, like, I don't know what was going on. To be honest, I think I probably would have left that summer if, it, if the playoff hadn't come about. Because it got to a stage where we'd had loads of injuries and stuff. And we're coming... And then we got to the playoffs and I'd come on a couple of games, like Luton, last game of the season and things. And I was on the bench of that playoff game and I don't know even know what made him do it because it was the first time he really put me on in a like in a, in a, an attacking position. But we were getting beat one 0 or no, I can and it was game it was obviously in Sky and I came on at half time in that first leg home game against playoff against Brighton and I did really well in the game. I had a couple of chan- uh, made a couple of chances, put a couple of crosses in, and then there's one I hit with my right foot just went over the, I nearly scored my right foot and stuff and then I think then he was just like right I've got I've got to get him in the team somehow in the, in the second leg and he played me left back I don't know if you remember him in the second leg and Yeah you came in for Duke
0: I think so you, you replaced Duke in the first game and so I imagine yeah, that's but
3: then Andy Nicholas, He dropped Andy Nicholas for the, mm. the left back for the away leg and I played left back that game and mm. stuff and and um, did well to be fair, and I mean that was just one of them gut wrenching moments, you know. And I came off because, because obviously I'd not played a lot of games. I was, I was, uh, I'd done my calf to be fair the last like couple of minutes of extra time,
0: mm.
3: and I literally remember sitting on the bench, like, and it is pissing down. Obviously, like weather just erupted, and I remember like thinking, right, I need, I need about twelve tickets for Cardiff for the final. I need this and that, and then. Cross came in and Virgo scored and I just thought oh my god this is just what's going on here and then obviously we lost in penalties and that was just that was probably one of the most demoralising moments in my career you know out out of them all that was that was just sickening especially like minutes away from getting to the final you know really disappointing (sighs) yeah I've not watched it back I can't. can't I remember really clearly and I remember get back to the room and Tommy Mooney was really upset because obviously it was his runner mm. and it was like, like he let him go in the last minute you know and and he was always like oh I can't believe I did that and all that and stuff and it was one of them that uh, just moments that you think I know if you'd only check back but like Tommy Tommy basically got us there as well with him and Sam with the goals you know so there was nothing you could really say it was just one of them moments but it was the cross I remember getting back in the changing room and uh, like Kingy Sammy I go and Guns Gurney were well, like Like just everybody's sitting deflated, and they were sitting like having a fag. (laughs) The three of them just having a fag. It's like, fuck's sake, you know, it was just one of the more gut wrenching moments. Yeah, you know, just missed out like seconds and penalties because we had a good team back then. I think giving Bristol City a real good gag, we'd have gone up with Brighton because Brighton Brighton beat them, didn't they?
0: My girlfriend at the time, and my now wife, is a Bristol City fan, and I was at that game. and I've never been more convinced that we would have given Bristol City uh, a Go that day, they so, were they
3: bottled that it completely. Actually, I know because I, ha- I could hardly watch the final, but I switched it on and mm. it was the worst game ever. Um, I,
0: I, I think I looked at the um, program for about 10 minutes without looking up 10 15 minutes.
3: Yeah, disgusting. Mm. It was really bad. We would, I definitely think we'd have gone, we would have gone, um, we, we would have made it with that and just one of these things. But it was funny, and uh, I always remember as well, we got back to the ground like the day after because we went out in Brighton that night because mm. it was a bit gut wrenching and maybe a celebration and people were just like couldn't be bothered really and then we got back to the stadium the next day because the manager had meetings with people mm. and I remember he was pulling mm. in people to say if they were getting released and stuff and obviously I had another year and I remember he just came out and he went to me I don't think we need a discussion anymore do we? and I was like nope and he's like see you for pre-season and that was it really as if like you're going to be part of my plans you know <laughs> I remember coming back and he played me left back all preseason and I was like, right, okay. And then first game of the season we played Wrexham and it was boiling away. And uh the boy Chris Armstrong that used to be at Spurs was at Wrexham at the time. And I remember like he punched me in like the head from a corner and the ref like gave them the penalty. <laughs> and I remember like them blaming me for the penalty and I'm thinking Like you've even complained to the ref about it, and then you're blaming me. Then I was kind of in and out again. It was totally random, and then just the way my kind of career was at swimming—you know—a bit up and down. And then it took me ages to get back in again. I don't think it was till January before I really started.
0: There's several things that's frustrated about uh, frustrating about oh four oh five, and one of them is the fact that it takes your final, you know, out of two seasons, your final quarter of your swimming to career. For them to finally put you in position, and lo and behold, you start scoring goals, um, yeah. and you start playing your I mean, best football, and that sort of thing. From a fan's perspective, is very very frustrating because we've wasted a player for a year no. and a half, and you know, we, we, I'm not going to say, "Oh, we cared about you know Grant Smith," but we care about succeeding. If you would have been in your correct position. How many goals could you have scored
3: in, in the first half of that season? It's it's very frustrating. Oh, I know. And it's one of the things I look back in my time as well, like probably every player does in the career and think, would have made that decision differently or what would have, what would have happened, you know? But at the time, to be fair, as I said, it was like, I know I was t- I was tweeting you the other day about the, the Christmas off and stuff. I came on against Notts County in the FA Cup and got a straight red. And at the time, we'd just signed the boy Holmes from Derby. Do you remember him? The boy yeah, really with the bandy legs. Yeah. And we signed a couple of others and I was kind of in and out with Kingy as well and he brought me in a couple of times and I'd, I'd come on against Huddersfield and did well. well I tell you what I'd started left back against Sheffield Wednesday and we're like 1-0 down we came back and beat them at the ground and then the next game I wasn't playing and stuff I was the only one dropped and all that I was getting pissed off and stuff and then we um that game I got sent off against Notts County which if you look at it I didn't even touch the guy and even Chris Kamara said in the sky when we watched it back it was like didn't even touch him you know but Kingy didn't even fight it so I had three days off at Christmas And the game just before Christmas, we got beat or we won 3-0 at home to someone, I forget who it was, and I always remember thinking, I was playing, obviously the only game I was really playing was wide left, and I remember thinking, right, I'm not going to play, and I was in the squad and it was Bradford for that game on like New Year's Day or whatever, the 2nd of January or something I think it was, and my ex at the time lived in Manchester. And I always remember we'd meet the night before in Bradford at the hotel because obviously it was Christmas and there was loads of games. So we didn't train that day. We just met at the hotel. And I always remember like I had one red wine in my dinner uh, before I went to the hotel. And I remember thinking because I'm not going to be involved tomorrow. Like they won three 0 last game, or did we win three 0 Or did we get beat three 0 I will tell you what it was. We get beat three now at home, right? Boxing Day or something, or the 27th or the 28th. And but the best player in the park was Holmes, who played like my position. So I remember thinking. I'm never going to play and anyway got first time and then woke up the next day Bradford and he named the team and I was like starting wide left and I was like what the fuck this is weird can't believe this and Bradford were going well at the time I think they had a few good players like Summerby and stuff the boy in Robinson got injured the first 10 minutes I think it was and for the first time in like the 18 months that it was at the club I played centre midfield that was the first time and obviously it was through people getting injured people people out of position because Holmes played in the right. So he put Holmes back to the left. I went in the centre midfield after about 20 minutes and obviously scored the two goals from midfield. And then that was it, really. that The rest is kind of, that was it. <laughs> the,
0: the loss was New Year's Day against Colchester 3-0. I got an apology from Matt Hayward for that one.
3: Oh, God. Big Matty. So that, because I, uh, I always cause I was sitting in the stand so suspended 3-0, like I said. And I knew it was something like that because, but Holmes, he was really good that day. He got man of the match and everybody's like, he was really good. And obviously he was playing the left and I thought, well, I'm not going to get back in and stuff. I don't know if... Maybe somebody might have got sent off that game that maybe got me at least into the squad for mm. the, the game mm. against Bradford in the third. But I always remember, because I scored two, and I always remember somebody saying, oh, well, and I remember Kingy saying, one swallow doesn't make a summer or something, you know, like <laughs> usual good man management that he used to come out with. <laughs> and I was... But to be fair, it probably spurred me on because I was thinking, I'm going to kind of show you here, you know what I mean, next game, and I always remember, and I think I, I, think I scored the next game again or... Or we get we won, us. I think we played someone at home anyway, Might have been Stockport, and we won. You, we won again. That's, or,
0: a, that's a few weeks later, and you scored the third in that because I was at that one, that was where we scored like three and four minutes or something.
3: It, yeah, it yeah. Back, and I um I set Sam up for the assist, I think, something like that. I got an assist mm. or something, or I forget, it was around that time anyway. Uh, yeah, but I think I got like nine and 20 from then till the end of the season, or something crazy, you know, something that, something that obviously got other teams interested you know it definitely helped playing centre mid that was for sure
0: did you buy one of Sam Parkin's Christmas trees Uh no I'm going to find one of these players one day that's bought one of Sam Parkin's Christmas trees
3: nah because no I don't know what it was because I think I was the ch- remember I lived in Cheltenham and that so Sam would never have delivered it driven from
0: London so <laughs> I
3: know I know but Jesus Christ no he never gave me a never offered me one I don't think either that's an unbelievable sh- shambles for Sam as well but uh no I think I don't know if he used to sell fake clothes as well, Kenny. Kind of, I don't <laughs> know maybe I bought some of that. <laughs> well, that's really fired up the home crowd now, and Swindon buzzing here. And Vickers, again rather uncertain
1: with that cross, and the shot almost comes to Mitchell. It's another goal. Incredible!
0: I'm noticing you I think Sheffield Wednesday are looking at you um, but ultimately because of where you're based in Cheltenham if a team like Bristol City comes in who are offering longer contracts and more wages you're going to disappoint the fans and end up going there how how did that move come ac-
3: come about? So basically um, that was the other side of things obviously I get slaughtered for it which I, I totally understand as well mm. but the club at that time was probably in the worst moments it had been in for a long time you know mm. the owners or whoever was taking charge so God love her. There was a woman in charge at the time, was it Sandy? Sandy, Sandy Gray, Gray maybe. Yeah. yeah. And God love her. They put her in this position where she was like so out of depth. It was untrue, and she was like in charge of transfers and budgets for next season and stuff. And I think she was kind of put there just as this like someone for they could they could use as like a kind of their whipping boy, should so to speak, or or someone like a patsy kind of thing. Mm. And they always remember like whatever I was on at the time. I think. King, he was like, right, there's the offer for next season. And it was like, and I said, well, Thing was on more than that already. Uh, Like another player kind of thing, because obviously players talked. And King, he was like, that's it. Also, there's no appearance money. It's a one-year contract. Take it or leave it, basically. And I was like, well, like, I want some more security because I've I've got, like, at the time, I had, like, two offers for the championship. I had, like, a lot of League One clubs. And at the time... Tinian was getting a job at Bristol City and he came to meet me and stuff and he was like, and I said, listen, I want to see what the final offer is from Swindon because, as I said, the last thing I wanted to do was move because I'd had such a nomadic start to my career, you know, I wanted to put down some roots and kind of get, get a lot of games under my belt at one club and and stay and be, and obviously I had a great relationship with the fans at that time because, like, I think Sam got player of the year and I got like, like second, voted Mm -hmm. second player of the year or whatever it was called, I was second in the list and, like I just had that confidence where you know you you were going on the pitch and you knew people like rated you and wanted you to do well and you knew they were like looking for you for the goals as well. One of them just times times that every player in the career wants you know. Mm. And I was getting this off and it was like one year and I spoke to my my dad and my my family and it was a bit like. Well, hold on a minute. And then Bristol City came, across, came along and they were like, listen, we're pushing next season. We're signing. we're signing Michael Bridges. We're signing um, Marcus Stewart, who mm. was top scorer at Sunderland, who just got promoted to the Premier League. We're signing uh, Matty Haywood was going there. And I know he was getting a good deal, like, a lot better than what he was offered at Swindon. They were offering me two years. I didn't need to move house. and It was one of them things that I think even the most ardent Swindon fan deep down, now I know there's always fans, it's the same way up here, Rangers-Cell taking different things, and no matter what level, there's always fans that go, nah, I should never leave and all that, but deep down, I think at least a few of them could understand what situation, and also, they were even saying like, the club might have gone into bankruptcy and all that in the summer as well, You might this, <laughs> even though you might sign this, it might not be honoured next season and stuff, the club might be going into administration, there was just so much stuff going on like that at the time, And but my only problem was, I think Swindon fans would probably have gone like, Fair enough if I'd gone to maybe like Sheffield Wednesday or something, but I think it's just the fact that I went to Bristol City which was which might be the wee bit that annoyed a few, which I totally understand, you know.
0: I think I think you're probably right. And I think it would have been worse now, not because Bristol City are doing much better, it's just because everything's quite loud in from a supporters point of view now, because we have so much access to voice our opinions yeah. to um to everybody. Um so I think yeah. it would have been definitely worse now, but I mean Doing these podcasts when I'm told that you know you're getting your checks hand delivered on the training pitch, you know, it's perfectly understandable why you would yeah, look exactly. to uh, to secure um, your careers, absolutely.
3: Yeah, In th- these days I would have been slaughtered on Twitter, you know what I mean? Mm. But the other side of it is uh, at least I could have put a statement out saying, <laughs> you know, one of those uh, post it notes that players <laughs> do these days. Yeah, at least I could have done one of them saying, listen, I've been off, I've not been offered anything yet, or however, or I've been offered. With- A one year, but it's like it's been cut and all this kind of thing. But but then it was quite funny because there was like a message board at the time, and I remember my my cousin going on it, and he was like, he was on it. It was like, it was like, oh, if it was like spread on me, and it was like, oh, hope he doesn't leave. or him and Sam's only like they're scoring the goals and blah blah, and and oh, he's been really good for us, and we need to sign him, and he's one of the main targets, and I think. I signed for Bristol City or I got announced the next day and then my cousin went back on and he was like I'm glad he's gone he's fucking shit and I just thought that's, that's football uh, is uh, <laughs> you can't you can't win like it's funny it's just fans are always the same uh, really, yeah. the Town
0: End Forum I was on those exact those those boards that um you're talking about where they say where we're saying that i say we because i'm a town end a yeah. member yeah. and those those threads still exist i was reading uh, through it just today and you're completely right uh, <laughs> i love it
3: so and, and it's just and, and there's a few like i'm glad he's got bristol city like that's good they've been they've got they've got a crap player now and all that and there's like probably the same guy saying <laughs> a week before you know it's like and I, and i get it you know it's just funny it's like <laughs> It's football and, and I get it. And, and to be fair, they were right. I was shit for Bristol City. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's a weird one, Bristol City, for you because you, you score your Bristol Derby friendly goal so that instantly you've got yep. you you've got a head start. Yep. You scored against Bristol Rovers in a friendly, very bizarre that they played him in a friendly but you got it. It was the only goal of the game. Yep. Perfect start. I live in Bristol. I know yep. the mentality of, of both the Rovers and City fans. Yep. There can be no better start. But yep. the the form, you know, you you sign the big names in Bridges and Stewart, and uh, they played out of position. Tinian just doesn't get yep. it right. They get tonked wonderfully seven one at Swansea. You're on the bench for that. Luckily for you, you don't get on. Yep. And then Gary Johnson comes in and changes fortunes. But there is a difference in style
3: there. Yeah, I mean, when I met Tinian, the two times I met him, I was like, where are you going to play me? And he was like, eh, well, even the left left side of midfield or blah blah. I said, listen it's taken me this long to get centre midfield play like, that I have to, that's where I want to play, you know what I mean? Because that's where I feel I'm at my best and and I've made a name for myself in this league at that position and I think I'll get goals for us if I play that position. And he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then pre-season comes about and he'd signed a couple extra players and stuff and then the, the other winger that was going to play wide left got injured as well. So I ended up playing wide left and I think my head went a little bit as well in that terms of, And then we didn't start well and then he brought in a couple of other boys and then he was under massive pressure and then like you said we got absolutely smashed off Swansea who and it's funny because I I, I took the boy Barry Mackay to Swansea in the summer and I was dealing with Swansea and Hugh Jenkins and stuff and uh, I I was talking about that and he remembers the game and stuff and, and the players they had at the time and it was one of them that like, Swans were meant to be, like, just, like, almost relegation team that year, and then suddenly they battered us 7-1, you know, and it was, like, and Tinning didn't last, and then Gary Johnson came in, who had his own ideas, and, like, I was over 5-8, foot so he had an instant hate, hatred for me, <laughs> it because it was just total little man syndrome, and and <laughs> and uh, it was just, and he had his own ideas and stuff, and, uh, I mean, to be fair, he had a bad start as well, and he never really got results straight away either, you know, he had took him a long time, and he had to get rid of a lot of players, because... Gary Johnson wasn't really good at dealing with players who had maybe like bigger personalities or been at a higher level or like had an opinion and stuff, you know. So he, he, it took him ages to get to get, to get get rid of a few, you know. That, that was another issue. And then obviously I went on loan after that to Walsall, who the weird thing was were like above Bristol City, you know. So he was telling me I wasn't good enough for Bristol City or I wasn't in his plans. And I just said to him, listen, I, like I get that, but like, I've not had a chance, you know, you're, you're not playing me midfield, you know, I think the only time he played me in a reserve game as well was like left back as well and I'm just thinking here we go again, it was kind of like I need to win him over again like, and like Kingy kind of thing, you know, I think that was all mm. in my mind at the time and stuff and it, it really did uh, bug me for a long time, you know, but it's one of those things, it's football, you know, it's life, it's just, and that's why I say there's a lot of luck involved, you know, it might have been somebody that came in and, Next thing I'm playing centre midfield and then we come we kick on again, you know. So it's just one of those things.
0: I, I also like the fact that you were in Helsinki for a bit with HG, uh, HJK, one, one of the biggest teams in Finland by quite some distance. Yep. And-
3: yeah, I loved it. I mean, um, so that came about because basically I, when I left Walsall uh, I'd been injured. I missed the last like, couple of months of the season. So Dundee United, I left Bristol City and Dundee United signed me short term until mm-hmm. like the January and I got fit and then Craig Levine took over and I was actually playing centre midfield. Which was unbelievable as well, and we drew two each at Celtic Park. Was loving it, and then he was just like, "Listen, uh, I'm not going to re-sign you because I've got I want to bring more players in." And it was that time of year. It was like the January window. It's difficult and stuff. And I just had enough, and I wanted to get away. And then the chance came up at HJK, who were like best team in Finland at the time, playing in Europe and everything. And I thought, I'll go over and see what it's like. And I, I thought, and I'd always been this kind of like I've always like when you say we'd have been involved in football, and I, um, I probably would, would have travelled a lot more as well because I always like like different cultures and want to see the world and stuff. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to give this a go. And I went out there and loved every minute of it. And it was a summer league. So I was there from like the February to the November. Helsinki is a great city. Met some great people, played in Europe, obviously, and still use kind of contacts over there I've got now, which helped me in my day-to-day job now as well. So uh, no, I loved it over there. Great club. You,
0: You mentioned that you were keen to bed down in your career are you retrospectively disappointed that after bristol city does go nomadic quite considerably
3: again but, after that yeah but as i said the we the, the thing about it is that i've got no regrets because uh, i don't think you should really have that in life anyway you know there's nothing you can i mean but that's that's the way it is and i think it shaped me for where i'm now in terms of there's a lot of things i deal with in my career now where i've learned from through having so many clubs or dealing with situations that I would have dealt differently with in terms of looking after my players and stuff as well but also everything that happened got me to Australia Mm. and like if even this even the slightest thing had happened even if I hadn't like gone left Bristol City to go to Dundee United I wouldn't have ended up in Australia at the end and Australia at the end is where I met like Robbie Fowler and played with Robbie and that's how we started the agency together Mm. so everything Mm. happens for a reason I think you know and. That's why at no point would I say, well, I wish that hadn't happened because that was dog shit and that's bad in my CV because I don't care because it got me to where I am now. This is probably going to last longer touch wood than any football career will, you know, or my football career has. And hopefully I'll be more successful in this than I could maybe go to the top at this rather than I never made it to the top in football, you know.
2: Stuckle. still left. how Slipped by Hazard.
1: Well, finish the pass. It wasn't that good enough? Sotheby. Good strike. Oh! oh fabulous goal. Marvellous effort by Nicky Sotheby.
0: The agency part of your career. So moving around as yeah. much as you did probably bodes well for you as a football agent.
3: Yeah definitely um in terms of contacts in terms of people
0: these football agents you get a yeah. you get a tough time don't you it's, you know yeah. from a football fan So the clubs you're the first people that the clubs blame and as a result yep. the fans hate you yep. is it as bad as we think or is it a, a split or
3: yeah i think it's i think it could be classed as bad as you think yeah i think there's a i mean it's like everything like if you probably got maybe got a plumber out over christmas you know what i mean hmm. you'll get a good plumber you get a bad plumber, so it's like every industry. You know what I mean? There's assholes, there's, there's cheats, there's liars, there's there's people that don't know how to do their job properly, and there is a lot of it in the industry. You know, and it kind of reflects on some of the others. But um, to be fair, what I've learned is they they don't last. You know what I mean? There'll be ones that will be, they'll maybe get away with it for a few years, maybe get away with it having certain players, maybe get a little bit of luck with a player who maybe they get a move for. Just on their own ability, rather than the agent helping it, however. And but it won't last. One of the good ones will take them off them, or or people will find out and stop dealing with them. And it's it's you just got to do the right things, you know, and, and and get that longevity in their career. Really,
0: I like to think the former pros are the, are, are the nicer side of the football agent.
3: Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd say I'd say they're I'd say they're more clued up hmm. in in terms of. Uh, how to deal with clubs because there's a lot of things that happen that and I've spoke to managers where they're like the agents looking for like minutes of the meeting and stuff and football's like no other industry in the world you know what I mean it's like like I've had this with a couple of young kids that I speak to some of the parents and like um, oh they're going to get off from a new contract and they said oh have they like sent an official letter for that and I'm like no he just told me you know and that's the way football works sometimes it's just like it's like it's like no other industry you know it's like if if a guy I'm sure in the business world nobody's going to say oh I'm going to sort that This week, you know what I mean. Normally, it's done correctly and through certain channels and all that. There's a lot of um, trust and judgment, and people taking people that their word in football and that. It's just it's the way it is, and the way it's always going to be. And it's a why a lot of successful people fail in football because they can't they can't deal with it, they can't handle it. They, they, it annoys them too much, you know.
0: Yeah, and in the article that I read that you you did some years ago, you talk about parents being a lot of trouble sometimes because. They think they know best, and a lot of good players have slipped through the net of the, f- of the football world because of being misguided by their families.
3: Yeah, I think from my point of view, I think um, parents are um, hugely important in terms of the the, the kid's development <clears throat> because um, it just it, it's a huge factor in them and stuff, and it's why I see it all the time. You know what I mean? And it, and it's weird. Like the, the what I've dealt with as well is it's quite ironic that normally more the more educated or business savvy the parent the harder they are to deal with because they think it's a lot of businesses and stuff whereas the other parents are kind of like well this is your business you know you must know how this works so we'll let you deal with this whereas some of the other parents that have maybe been successful in their business lives think that they need to be part of it or they like whereas like for example if my kid wanted to be a graphic designer or something and like a guy had, had like 30 years experience in graphic design and stuff. I'm not going to say to the guy, right, I get what you're saying, but I think it should be this way <laughs> because I watched like a, an art programme on TV or something, you know, but I think because football is like one of these things that everybody's got a piece of it or you've been grown up with it or people watch Match today the and they might go, oh, I think you should be doing this, you know, it's as if... Mm-hmm. And, and they're entitled to the opinion and stuff, I get that, but like sometimes it's just like you're thinking, why are you not listening to me? Why do you not understand where I'm coming from here, you know? It's just, and it can... It can affect the kid as well, you know what I mean? Because it's so important they make the right decisions and, and for their careers and and get the right pathway, you know. Mm.
0: Who have been your success stories, or who have you contributed to, or advised, or helped get over the line? Who we might have heard of? You said you, Barry Mackay was recent.
3: Yep. So I got Barry. Um, I had Barry since he was sixteen. So um, he's he's done really well for himself. Obviously, he's had two good moves. He went to he went to Forest for I think they paid about half a million, and then he went for over a million in the summer there to Swansea as well so um, and he's still just just 23 just turning 24 so uh, Barry's won he's good he's playing week uh, playing the championship and then um, last summer I've got the boy David Bates I don't know if you know him he went from Rangers to Hamburg he he,
0: he wasn't at Rangers very long was he He, he, no
3: well he was there too yeah interesting story and it was one of them that um, he was with someone else as well and I think they were kind of advising him somewhere else and then he was looking to leave his agent because I don't think he was uh, he was getting the right advice or he was he was kind of uh, worried for his future kind of thing. And then um, he spoke to a couple, and then he spoke to me, and I was just kind of like, for me, it was more. I saw a lot of potential in the kid. Mm. I, I think that's probably in terms of what I do. I think that's probably my strength in terms of maybe scouting or or looking for something in the player that I see has got potential to go to a decent level. And and the kid was like six foot four. Quick, strong, only young, got man of the match in The last old from uh, one of the last old from games this time last year, and nobody was really pushing him. You know, and I, I, I sometimes joke with him. I think it's because like, see, because he wasn't like tanned, with like blonde and quiff and all that. He was like big white ginger kid, mm. <laughs> not the most attractive to look at in terms of uh, on the pitch and stuff. I was thinking people were kind of overlooking him in a way, and it was like it was one of them that I thought. Something about, I, I did really like him and then obviously when I met him I thought, and then it was a case of I knew a couple of clubs that, that were looking for that kind of place and in Germany right now as, as you'll know as well there's a real appetite for UK kids now because they see a lot of these kids getting overlooked by big clubs and, and there's a pathway in Germany you know yeah. and you see a lot more going out there and they were like, this kid ticks all the boxes, he's 21, he's, he's quick athletic and all that and to be fair. He's went to Hamburg, a huge club, and since then he's gotten a national team, uh, played the last two games, and he's playing every game for Hamburg. Top of the league and hopefully going back to Bundesliga, so they're a couple of good ones. And then I've got a lot of young ones up here now that are obviously still trying to break through and coming through and stuff, so, and there's some real good talent up here right now, so it's, it's it's a good time.
0: Is the goal, ultimately, to get these Scottish lads into other countries, or ideally would you have them still going through the Scottish system?
3: No, nah, get them. No, nah, it's it's one of them that especially the way the clubs have maybe especially the way Rangers have dropped in the last couple of years now they're coming back obviously which is good to see but to be honest I always say that like if if the boys are that good they can come back to Rangers and Celtic when it suits them you know what I mean mm-hmm. like for example I see Stephen Davis might be signing for Rangers tomorrow or this week like he's 34 you know what I mean mm-hmm. but he's had a great career he could, like Alan McGregor came back last summer there's, there's all this like I think if the kids are that good they can come back to Rangers and Celtic at a certain time, and for me, if they're that good, I think they should move. You know what I mean? I want my, I'd want my players. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, if they're, if they're at Rangers and Celtic, uh, a few years, no problem. But for me, like, just looking at the league and stuff, I think if if you have ten years at Rangers, I don't think you can clash yourself as a top level player. Rangers or Celtic, mm-hmm. I think for that, you've got to go and prove yourself at uh, in a. Germany, Italy, Spain, England uh, for sure, you know mm-hmm. and uh, don't get me wrong, you have a good career and you're, you're a good player 10 years at Rangers and Celtic, but I think to be a top player, I think you've got to go and prove yourself and push yourself and, 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 and move away And are you and- thinking
0: of I mean, David Bates for example, his career is a brave rovers to Hamburg in essentially a calendar year because he was only on loan at Rangers originally yeah. it, is Are you more in line with their ability or is it getting them
3: paid ultimately was it both what, like no not really like I've always said like what I noticed from my career is dealing with like players i played with and all that it's like there's a lot to be said for see the ones that used to always talk about money and mm-hmm. used to think about money and used to think of it as like now I get when you're offered a contract you've got to think about it but the ones that are always like well he's on that he's on this it always kind of like subconsciously I feel blocked their careers in a way sometimes and whereas the ones that just went out and played, like, if you're a good player, money will come to you, you know what I mean? And the money out there right now is ridiculous. And I tell all my boys this as well, just concentrate. And the ones like like Batesy and Barry, they've, they've never really been interested in, they've never really ever come, to, they've never once come to me and gone like, oh, what do you, I could get there, or I should be getting this, you know? They just go out and go, we talk about football and, and their next steps and how to improve and how to get better, and then the money comes to them in the end, you know, and like, they're both young kids, especially Bates. He's just, he just turned 22, and obviously Germany is fantastic. And if he goes up next season, I mean, playing Bundesliga at 22, there's not many Scottish kids that have done that, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it, and it, and it helps everyone, you know? I mean, I think now there's a lot of young kids up here, they're looking to me saying, bloody, I want to make that move. Like, how did you get that move kind of thing, you know? Because a lot of people were like that because no one really saw it coming in terms of where he was at. But, I mean, the, the, the Germans... They don't make many mistakes there as well, and they they saw a good player and someone that had proved themselves at a decent level at that age. So, and obviously, it's worked out so far for them.
0: How do you help the players who are hustling? You know, it's not working out. They're not going to get their Bundesliga um, moves or their Hamburg moves. They're not going to get their moves to Swansea. They are going to go from one club to another. How do you yeah. keep them mentally focused? Because it, it's, you're raised as a footballer to think that you can, anything's possible. in yeah. you can be the best of the best. It's not, yeah. for 95% of footballers, that's simply not the case. How do you keep them just, I was talking to Raphael De Vita and there's a yeah. guy who's Italian, he's based in Scotland, he wakes up every day just grateful that he's playing football. But not yeah. all footballers have that mentality.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't have it as much because as I said, like obviously based in Barry I've gone to that level and then I didn't take a lot of players in terms of my agency just in the way I work because I'm quite hands-on in terms of like I'll maybe only sign a couple of boys a year, you know, mm-hmm. and some of those boys are still at that level, where they're, they're still at that stage, where they're just about, like for example, I've got a kid, um, uh, the boy Aiden Nesbit at MK Dons, mm-hmm. and obviously this is going out later on, so I can say about it, but like, he's signing for Dundee United tomorrow, now Aidan was really unlucky, like Celtic uh, sold him to MK Dons, paid a fee for him, and did really well when he first went there, then got injured and stuff, so, and then Tisdale's come in and not really involved him, so it's one of them that, he's at that stage where it's that, it's at the cusp of uh, like the abyss kind of thing, you know what I mean. You're either mm-hmm. he's either going to come to Dundee United now and kick on and do well and get back on track, or it's going to go the other way and he's going to be playing part time in the next two years, you know. So it's one of them where sometimes you've got to get to them at that stage where it's all mental, you know what I mean. It's his mental strength now to go. I'm still a good player, which he is, and I'm going to show them, and I'm going to keep going here, mm-hmm. and that's where. As much as, like, as much as um, I, I don't want him to fail or anything, you know what I mean? It's got to be up to him at this stage. You know, it's got to be up to him to go. I'm going to go and show them. I'm going to do it. And, and the world's full of it. You know what I mean? There's loads of boys that have been left clubs and cl- teams have made mistakes all the time and stuff. And 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 I think MK Don's like. I, I mean, not saying they'll regret it because obviously they, they weren't playing him, you know. But I think there'll be. A, I think there'll be a case waiting in the future where people will go can you believe he was in a free kind of thing? You know what I mean? Can you believe that happened? He, like he was almost out of the game, you know? Mm. And it's part of this, it's part of the job. It's why like there's so much bad recruitment going on at clubs these days. I see it. I mean, I don't know if you watched the Sunland documentary. Yeah, absolutely. That's like, welcome to my world. You know, You're, that. I mean, that was a championship club, the way, they were at, the way they were dealing with things, you know, and it was an absolute shambles. So there's lots of good clubs out there. There's lots of good people in recruitment and there's so many gems out there that it's easy to pick up. And I mean, I mean, Batesy for one. Batesy was picked up. Compensation. They played. They paid um, Rangers for, for. I know they won. Like they won a lot of money for Batesy straight away already now, for, just for the games he's played, and because he's a full international now. So there's there's gems out there all the time. It's just like doing the right, like getting out there and looking for it and finding it. No question. Now we'll go
0: back to Swindon Town because this is a Swindon Town podcast. So thinking back to your Swindon Town career, what what are your Memories that immediately pop up. Your your, your, your memories are behind the scenes on the pitch, whatever for you.
3: Like some good boys, obviously Sam. I'm still good pals with Sam and stuff. It's just there was so many. Like there was, it was a time where I think the last, as you said, the last quarter when I was playing. I think that was the the best kind of spell for me, almost in my career as well. Where I was playing in the right position, had good players around me, uh, I enjoyed it. The manager liked me. The fans liked me. That's that kind of like, you don't get many points like in your career, you know, when it's going kind of well and stuff. And and I think as well, like we'd play on a Saturday and then we'd be like, because we're doing reasonably okay and we're trying to fight to get in the playoffs that second season where we'd maybe get the Monday off as well. So we had a good social scene as well, you know, which I think you could get away with more in those days. Mm. And things like that, just some nights out that were hilarious or days out with boys that were mental and all that, like big Rory Fallon and, Big Matty and, like, just kind of good guys, you know, like, time, you you, you know what I mean? It, it does feel 100 years ago, though, that's a mental thing, you know? Feels as if it's, like, so long ago and you're so old these days, but uh, it was just a great time and, and like, really, I know it's cliché and people probably say this because they're on the podcast, but it, it was a great club in terms of the, the, the town and, and how it was run at the time was didn't reflect on that, you know, because obviously it was getting sold or whatever or somebody else was taking over but there was always a good vibe about the place you know even from the training ground to the the stadium and match days and stuff there was always something about it that just that it's always going to attract and that's why the club will always do well because it's it's a good it's a good town and good good place to be and good just just it's a proper football club if you know what i mean Mm. i know that sounds weird but like it's a club that it's got a history it's got it's got a level where it's been at every stage you know I mean it's been the top league it's been the bottom league it's 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 been all there and most of the fans have been through it all you know so it's it's just uh, it's just a good time and and I like, uh, really had a good time there as well you know Grant Smith thank you very much no problem Try the to good run by him and now,
0: Hello Strangers is an independent Swindon Town fan podcast. The music was expertly created by Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by the super talented John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Hello, Swindon. So from a former Rangers fan, I'm going to ask you a trivia question. Can you name a Swindon player to have played both for Swindon and Rangers? Oh. I'll give you a clue. One plays for How them did... right
3: now. One plays for them now? Yeah. Oh, do you know what uh, Rob Kiernan. Do you know? Was he not swinging no, for he this? was Wigan. all oh, right right. Hold on, two seconds. This is shocking for me because I'm usually good at this. <laughs> Hope Sam Barkin's not listening because he, he, he won't forgive me for this. He'll Hold on. You yeah, know, let me think. I uh, think. Sorry, you're saying he plays for Rangers he now. Plays
0: for Rangers, right? now. I'm not in the first team at the moment, but he certainly was. Ah, oh. a summer signing
3: kicked him out. A Summer signing kicked him out. Mm. Oh for God's sake! A goalkeeper. Uh, oh, Ben Anick. Nope. Or Jack Haneck. It's not Jack, Jack. Yeah. It's the it's the better one. Oh, of course, of course, of course, of course. Yeah. To be fair, Alan McGregor is is the number one. To yeah. be fair, <laughs>
0: but Wes Fodderingham
3: was Wes was, was yeah. the man, I don't, yeah. You know what? He lives, he lives near me because I see him out all the time getting breakfast and stuff. So I should have got that one.
0: You could have uh, had David Mitchell from your era, uh, as a, as a as a as a kid. Paul Rado, Mark Walters. Did and,
3: um, Mark Walters definitely one? Did um, Terry Hurlock, he never played, did he? No, was he didn't remember?
0: play. We had we had Terry Fenwick, not Terry Sorry. Hurlock.
3: <laughs> Terry Fen why oh, he was Millwall. He was
0: Millwall, exactly right.
3: No. I've actually got unbelievable football brain and I've just ruined it straight away by being hopeless. <laughs> Can't even my neighbour. We'll cut it out. <laughs> He's got a guy who walks past my door every day. Uh, <laughs> no, that's weird. I remember uh Walter's oh, <clears throat> Matt Walters was brilliant. No, that was kinda of, that was my earliest kind of Rangers memories in mm-hmm. terms of when I actually really did go to games or watch them, you know what I mean? Was Matt Walters back in the day with uh, the Patrick Butts and stuff, you know, he was uh he was he was top class.